My name is Mike. I'm the pastor here. It's good to see all of you. I'm, I'm becrutched. I don't know what the, what the word is to describe this. I had surgery this week on my knee, so, so forgive me for not standing in your presence, um, but I'll, I'll be using these for the next six weeks. Thanks so many to many of you for your prayers and for your help as, as I've been getting out of surgery. I'm going to encourage you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide now, where we will continue our, our reading and our, our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. If you have your Bible, you can turn there as well. <clears throat> Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That means he's somebody who is hand-selected and commissioned by Jesus to help lay the foundation of the church. An apostle was a really significant figure in the early church. <clears throat> in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, we hear the story of uh, Paul first visiting the city of Ephesus. Uh, this is sometime around the year 53 AD, and he preaches to this city the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, anyone who will listen, wherever he goes, Paul preaches to Jews, to Gentiles, to rich, to poor, men, women, and children. He calls them to repent, to believe, to turn to Christ, to receive life in him. And in Acts 19, we see that he has remarkable success. Uh, Acts 19 tells us how many people in that city believed this news. They repented of their sins. They began to follow Jesus. And so now, years later, writing from a prison in Rome, Paul writes to these Christian men, uh, women, children in Ephesus, who are the very first generation of Christ followers. And Paul tells these new Christians that in this life they're going to experience uh, some opposition, so sometimes really significant opposition. Paul experienced that when he was in Ephesus. He was, he was chased out of the city, um, his life being threatened. Paul, in the, in the letter to the Ephesians, tells them that they'll face opposition both on a local level, but also on a cosmic level. On a local level, Paul's already experienced that this city of Ephesus isn't exactly a friendly place to the faith. There were cultural practices, there were norms that were accepted in Ephesus that were totally in opposition to the way of Christ. Uh, these Christians, this church, would often feel alone. They'd feel marginalized, they would feel persecuted. But not only on a local level, on a cosmic level they would face persecution. Uh, by following Christ, Christians are voluntarily entering into this unseen, raging, spiritual war that's always happening around them. That there are in this world powerful but unseen, malevolent spiritual forces at work. Uh, and Christians are called to, to do battle, to enter into the fray uh, through prayer, with faith. And this opposition that Paul writes about to the Ephesians is the same uh, opposition that all Christians in all ages are are going to experience. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what you can expect to face. We're not at peacetime. We're in wartime. Uh, there's a constant battle around us, inside of us, for, be for beauty, for goodness, for truth. But what's interesting as we've looked at Ephesians in the first chapter is that Paul doesn't begin his letter uh, with uh, wringing his hands. He doesn't begin with, like, worry, uh, you know, raising the alarm. He doesn't commiserate with the other Ephesians. Man, things are so tough for us, aren't they? Rather, Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians with a celebration, with an unbridled, uh, long-winded prayer of praise and thanks for, for all that God has done for them. Uh, verses 3 through 14, if you look at the text, he just goes all in on celebrating God's kindness to this church. Whatever losses they might experience, whatever difficulties they've faced, it does not compare to all of the blessings and grace and kindness that they've received in Christ. It, it does not compare. We noted a few weeks ago that this prayer of celebration and praise from verses 3 through 14 is actually in the Greek. It's just one long sentence. He doesn't take a breath. He just goes for it. In English, we have to add some punctuation so we can understand it a little bit more clearly. But this extended prayer is Trinitarian in shape. 
Uh, it praises the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, we looked at how Paul first celebrates the work of God the Father. The Father's chosen us to be in Christ. Celebrate. This is, this is, a wonderful, uh, this is wonderful news to us. Last week, Ben looked at Paul's celebrating the work of God the Son. In Christ, and in Christ alone, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness for our sins. And this week, this is the final part of this celebration. We're mostly going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. Paul celebrates the work of God the Spirit. Those chosen by the Father and those redeemed by the Son have now been sealed, protected, and been made secure by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite Brittany to read uh, our passage this morning. Again, if you have your Bibles or on the back middle of your portion, you're welcome to turn there now. Hear God's word from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Our Father, we ask that you would send your Spirit on us now to open our eyes and ears, to open our hearts to all that you've done for us in Christ. Would your Spirit empower this time to be so much more than knowledge transfer, but a time of transformation where we learn to love and trust you. Thank you for your work among us, for evidence that even today your spirit is at work among us. Would you continue and extend this work now beyond what we could ask or imagine? In Christ's name, amen. I want you to imagine that somebody has offered to you something rich and glorious, something that you have long desired it's, it's held out to you for a moment, only to be pulled away at the last moment. How would you feel? I imagine if, if that was the case, if something that you had desired, longed for, hoped for, was presented to you 
just for a moment and then pulled away, it would almost be better for it to have not been offered to you in the first place rather than for it to be offered to you and then be out of reach. Uh, Imagine, again, something gracious, something glorious, just being over the horizon, but you don't have the power to get there. You you can't make it on your own. This is similar to Charlie Brown's feeling. I don't know if you're familiar with Charlie Brown forever wanting to to kick the football. Uh, Lucy always sort of offers it to him, you know, holds it out for him for a moment so that he can kick it, but just at the last second pulls it away, and, and Charlie Brown crumpled, defeated, lying on the ground. Again, it would would almost be better for this good thing to not have been offered to you in the first place than to have it offered only to be taken away from you. Now, Paul, in this section, he wants and he's presenting to the church all of these good things that God offers to this world, offers to his people, blessings that are rich and glorious beyond measure. Look at verse 3. I'm just going to kind of walk us through the text so you can see it yourself. But in verse 3, Paul holds out that God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, he says, We're chosen by the Father, called to be holy and blameless. Verse 5, look at it. We're adopted as sons. That is, we're we're heirs. We're heirs to all that is God's. Verse 7, there is the hope of redemption through Christ's own blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. All of our wrongs can be washed away. All of our our filthy stains removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. God has promised to lavish on us wisdom and insight so that we can understand his work among us. Uh, Verse 10, this is the ultimate hope. For all broken things, all disunited things in heaven and on earth to one day finally be made whole, to be renewed, to be united in Jesus Christ himself. Verses uh, 3 through 10, it's, it's a treasure chest of good things, good glorious things being offered to us. Peace with God, peace with each other, forgiveness, wholeness, a loving relationship with God our creator. But what good are these blessings if you've got no hope to hold on to them? What good is it for us to, to read about these things, to hear about them, uh, but in the end have them, you know, pulled away because, oh, we find out, you know, we don't qualify. Or, or you know, what if God changes his mind last second and pulls them away? What if what we long for is yanked away from us? In Paul's final section of this extended blessing from verses 3 through 14, um, he praises God that by faith, these blessings that he's listed, they aren't potential blessings, uh, but they are sure things. Paul wants the church in Ephesus to grow in confidence, wants them to grow in thanks that these things that have been held out for them will never be snatched away. He, he wants them, he wants us to build our lives on this hope, to bank everything we have on them. How? How can we have this kind of confidence? Well, this is the work that God the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. Paul celebrates that those who have been chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son have been sealed, they've been protected, they've been made secure by the work of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verses 11 through 14, that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning, we see Paul pointing to, we'll call it three different time zones, where our faith and hope in these blessings can be built up, where we can grow in confidence. Uh, Paul wants us to look into the past, he wants us to look into the present, and he wants us to peer into the future. Paul wants us to see all that God's done for us in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he's promised to do for us in the future. So first, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look with Paul into the past. In the past. So verse 11, 
Paul returns to this theme of election and predestination that he's already spoken of. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, uh, but you know, just to, to remind yourselves, election simply means before we chose God, God chose us. Be- before we ever came to God and received and, 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 and believed in God, God, in a mysterious way in the past, chose us. Look at verse 11. Uh, in him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, that's in the past, destined before, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you lift your eyes up from this uh, verse, from verse 11, you can see how significant it is for Paul to look into the past, to look at what God has done in the past. Look at verse 4. Paul celebrates, he the Father, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, again, he predestined us, he chose us before for adoption for himself. Paul Paul repeats this reality. If you have faith in Christ today, Ephesians, Haligonians, it's because God chose you in the past. And and this this reality of God's choosing us uh, to to bless us, to adopt us, to redeem us in Christ in the past um, is meant to be a source of, of intense comfort to us. The reason why he repeats it is because he wants it to be of help to us. Now, verse 11 here Uh, If you look at it, linguistically, it's actually pretty complex in the Greek. And so some translations begin verse 11, not by saying that we've obtained an inheritance from God, but rather we're the inheritance that God has obtained. This might sound a little complex. I'll try to explain it again. So verse 11 is trying to communicate not so much that we have obtained for ourselves good things from God, which of course is true. This whole section is about good things that we've received. But the specific thing that Paul's trying to communicate in verse 11 is that God has obtained us as his inheritance. You see the difference? Uh, The New English translation puts verse 11 this way. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. And we see this language of God claiming people as his own treasure, his own inheritance, his own possession throughout the scriptures, but we see it uh, most clearly way back in the books of Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Back then when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, they were beaten up without hope, having nothing to offer God, no future prospects against slaves in Egypt. God in that moment chose them to be his. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. See, Israel was God's chosen people, the treasure and inherited nation that God chose for himself. God rescued them. He set his purposes on them to bless them and adopt them, not because of anything impressive in them, not because of any intrinsic good, but as verse 11 puts it again, look at it. It was according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul is communicating something very similar, if not the exact same idea, to the Ephesians here. Just as God chose Israel in the past to be his chosen people, so he chose us to be his special possession. Again, not owing to anything intrinsic in us, nothing special in us, not because of anything we do, but again, verse 11, it's according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, Like I said, this reality of election, of predestination in the scriptures is meant to be a source of immense comfort and joy to us. But I think for some people, it's not. It feels arbitrary. It feels random. Like, what is going on here? Now, throughout the scriptures, there are many ways 
that God's choosing a people for himself, irrespective of any intrinsic value in them, but according to his will, um, there are many places in scripture that points to the kind of comfort this is supposed to bring to us. But I'm going to tell you at least one way for you to think about this. Election says this, God holds on to you like a treasured possession. He will hold you fast. When your faith is weak and fragile, when your heart begins to doubt and wander and wonder if you believe any of this at all, your confidence in that moment must not be in your own abilities, in the strength of your own faith, but on God's ability to hold on to you. Election reminds us that the Christian's hope is that we know a God who makes us his possession, not the other way around. He's great, we're small, our grip is weak, his is strong. Uh, there's a beautiful song by, uh, by the Gettys that picks up this theme, and, and, and it sings, it celebrates about this comfort of God holding on to us. It goes like this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he can hold me fast. I could never keep my hold, he must hold me fast. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. I am precious in his sight, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight, he will hold me fast. So this is one of the many comforts that this doctrine of predestination of election is meant to bring to those who hold on to him. It's this good news that God holds on to us as his own treasured possession. So first, Paul wants us to look into the past. God's claimed you as his own. You can be confident that the blessings that he's promised to you will be yours, not because you can be confident in yourself and your ability to get them, but rather you can be confident in Christ. He will hold you fast. Second, Paul wants us to look into the present. If you look at verse 13, this is what Paul says. In him, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, while Paul is clear that God's choosing came first in the past, he wants to communicate very clearly that God's choosing has present effects. So, those whom God chooses in the past they are changed in the present. I'll say that again. Those whom God chose in the past are changed in the present. One writer puts it this way. God's chosen people do not go to heaven simply because they are chosen. Rather, Christ qualifies them for heaven. God not only predestined our salvation, but also predestined the means of our salvation, the work that Christ would do on our behalf, the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives, our faith in him. So one question that people often ask when we, when we talk about predestination or God's choosing a people for himself in the past is, it's, it's, it's a very simple question, how do I know if he's chosen me? <laughs> like, how can I know? Am I chosen? And verse 13, if you look at it, presents one very definitive way that we can know. When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we believed in him. Am I chosen? Am I God's own possession? Will he hold me fast? Ask yourself this question. How do I react to the good news about Jesus Christ? Do I believe it? Is that my hope? Is he my hope? See, the good news, is, as John Calvin would summarize it, is the announcement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the flesh. 
He came to renew and to restore a ruined world, to restore human beings from death to life. And this is, this is justly called good news of great joy for all people. Because in this news, in this Jesus, perfect happiness, perfect peace, perfect wholeness, the peace and love that we long for, it is in him that this is obtained. This is the gospel that Paul describes in verse 11 as the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And look at the end of verse 13. Paul writes that those who believe this good news, there's a special work of the Holy Spirit that happens. He says, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal was a way in the ancient world to, to mark out ownership. Uh, it, it was a way for ownership to be declared publicly. So, so maybe, I've only experienced this in watching old movies, but a king has like a signet ring that he impresses into, you know, uh, warm wax. And, and that seal, wherever it ends up, whether it ends up on a letter or on, you know, an official document, a will, uh, on, on, on a, you know, treasure box or something like that, this seal is a way of saying, this one belongs to the king. This is his. And so the Holy Spirit is given here to those who believe in Christ as, as an inward mark, a seal, an authenticating uh, mark of God's ownership of that person in the present. Let me ask you this question again. Do you believe the gospel? Can you say not just that Christ is the hope of the world generally, but that he's your hope? Uh, not just that you believe that Jesus died for sins, but that he died for my sins. If you do, this is evidence in the present that the Holy Spirit has sealed you for the King. That you belong to Him, that the blessings He's promised to you are sure. If you're here this morning, and you're not sure if you believe this, like you're, you know, you're, maybe you're just visiting here for the first time this Sunday, all of this is new to you, or maybe you've been here for a little while, and you're still processing some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, the, the plane of your faith has not yet landed. Let me just give you one uh, simple but vital application from this text. Keep listening to the word of truth. Keep hearing. Read the Bible. Uh, read it with a friend. Uh, join the Mark study that we do on Thursdays. Uh, talk to me. I would love to help you read through the scriptures. Uh, I'd, I'd love to help you. Um, uh, you're here this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of scripture read uh, a couple long passages from Colossians, from Ephesians. We've sung the scriptures during our confession. We heard the word of truth being read to us to assure our pardon. During the call to worship, we read from the scriptures. Uh, this is the word of truth being preached and taught. And this is the means that Paul sees uh, of, of building our faith, of helping us believe. You can't believe the gospel unless you hear it. Or if it, uh, uh, um, unless somebody uh, preaches it to you. This is what Paul writes in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want your faith to grow, if you'd like to believe this gospel, and you're, and you're not sure if you do, even if you're here right now and you're, and you're not sure about these things, this is what I'm telling you. you. You must continue to listen. Listen to the gospel. Keep listening to the word of truth. Don't stop. Um, so, so to recap, Paul wants the church to celebrate. He wants us to be confident that the blessings offered to us in Christ are secure. And, and he wants our confidence to grow as we first look into the past, remembering that God has claimed to people for himself as his own inheritance. Second, we're to look in the present to consider our own faith and to know that this is, is a seal of the Holy Spirit on us. And finally, he wants us to look to the future. Look at the end of verse 13. 
When we believed in Christ, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 13, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In this, the, the very final part of Paul's long celebration, it's been spanning verses 3 through 14, he wants us to look into the future. Paul describes our future blessing as something guaranteed to us through the Spirit's work. The Spirit himself, sealing us as God's own people, is also a guarantee to us. Not only a seal, but it's a guarantee of all that God's promised us, of what he will one day deliver on in full. The word here for guarantee in the Greek is the word arabon, uh, which means uh, down payment. It means deposit. Uh, when, when you make a down payment on a house, it's not only a way of, of making a claim on that house, uh, it's not even simply the first installment, but it's, it's a way of making a pledge. A down payment is a pledge, it's a promise, it's a way of saying that this is going to keep on going into the future. And Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a down payment, a pledge from God that more is on the way. The Holy Spirit is given to you as a guarantee that the future fullness that has been promised here in Ephesians will one day be yours. Why does this matter? Why is this important to our faith? One commentator asks Christians to do this. Imagine the most sublime, the most treasured experience on earth that you've ever experienced through the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is something that you've experienced in church or or in private prayer or in Bible reading. And then realize this. That this is only a foretaste. It is only the tip of the tongue on the spoon of what is coming. In worship, sometimes you might experience this here at church. Hopefully you've experienced this at some point in your life. The joy to realize that Christ loves you and gave himself for you. Uh, The inward work of the Spirit where as we sing these songs of God's goodness and glory, we, we are just in awe of who he is, that he would know us and choose us for himself. Do you remember a point in your life where you saw the Spirit at work in your life, where you previously would have chosen sin, you would have gone into old habits, but rather you can look back and celebrate, God has been at work in my life, he's been changing me. Think of all of that, and then multiply it a millionfold, this author says. Here on earth, we've experienced just the first dollar of the million celestial dollars promised. We've only experienced the guarantee. We've only tasted the down payment. We have the first glimmer, but then we'll have the midday sun. Friends, if you've tasted the work of the Spirit in your life, you can be confident there's so much more waiting for you. If God's given you the first taste in this life, you can be certain that he's preparing a feast for you. Let's end with this. Paul wanted the Ephesian church to celebrate, to be glad. Yes, the Christian life is often filled with with struggle, with opposition. Uh, Local, cosmic, internal, external. In this life you will have trouble. But Ephesians 1 rings a clear note of celebration. Following Christ and being his disciple is infinitely worth it. Infinitely worth it, friends. The eyes of faith sometimes strain to see this, but sometimes we get tastes. And so God the Father is somebody that we can celebrate this morning because he's chosen us to be in Christ. We're called this morning to celebrate that God the Son has redeemed us by his blood And as we worship God the Spirit, we remember that he has sealed us, that he has guaranteed 
to us, all that he has promised to us. That right now, whatever taste we have this morning, whatever you have in the years to come, believe that this is only the tip of the tongue of the spoon. Our inheritance is coming, and one day we'll acquire full possession of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us faith to see all that you have promised us in Christ. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit uh, to seal our faith, to guarantee for us uh, good things yet to come. Lord, we thank you for bringing to us the word of life, the gospel of our salvation. Uh, You've been kind to those in this hearing. You are speaking to them, that you are offering them them this, 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 this future with you, this present where they can be at peace with you. Lord, would you give us the great gift of faith? Would you send your spirit now to help us? We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.